Hey, welcome to the Jesus Sex and Politics Podcast. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all the things that culture doesn't want to talk about. That will scare you. Well, it's good to have you. Thanks for joining us again on Jesus, Sex, and Politics. Nathan, welcome back from vacation. You've hey, been on vacation, it, it seems like a long time. It, uh, it, it's been an unreasonable, evil amount of time. <laughs> you know, not as long as Pete Buttigieg, um, whenever <laughs> Buttigieg. he, I, I guess, you know, he had that child. And oh, man. Adopted have you a ever, child and he needed two months to Do you know how hard it is husband. to give birth as a man? It's hard. Uh, uh, it's very difficult. I mean... You know, I, I'd take six months out too if I had to give birth. I just didn't know whether we should send him a nursing bra or not. You know? <laughs> oh, man. Well, we can. I think uh, I'll drive up to South Bend and drop it off. Uh, I tried to breast hey, with you nipple. <laughs> <laughs> if you do go to South Bend, try to watch out for all the potholes. Oh, my that, goodness. That uh, Mayor Pete left. Golly. For- everybody but he's 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 qualified to be the transportation secretary oh absolutely well hey we've got some great guests with us today i'm super excited for this episode because we have turning point usa with us and pastor rob mccoy who is charlie kirk's pastor he's on the board of turning point faith which is an initiative to engage the church to engage in culture and, uh, and we also have uh, Connor Royce here, who is the regional district coordinator for uh, Turning Point in the, the Ohio Valley, if you will, or the Ohio district. So it encompasses Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, some of that. Uh, so, you guys, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's an honor to have you guys. Yeah. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So real quick, Connor, tell us a little bit about uh, Turning Point uh, Faith and being the director and what you're, what you're trying to accomplish and what's going on with uh uh, Turning Point Faith and how the churches are receiving what you're what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You'd rather talk about the Bengals. <laughs> if don't, get, don't get me started. I know, right? Hey, listen, no, great uh, win last night. Oh, it was fantastic. A little bit of a sweat, like I was saying. I mean, they, they made us earn it as fans, but we we got it done. So we're gonna we're gonna beat up on Pastor Rob's Rams. We're looking forward to it. Hey, look, it's gonna be an awesome epic showdown. So. <laughs> It should be a good one. Also, too, you know, it's not that hard to to have a child as a man. You know, you've, they've got their own emoji now. So, obviously, it can't be that hard. Wait, who has their own emoji? The Bengals? No, pregnant men. Oh, pregnant men. Oh. <laughs> pregnant men. The new Apple. Emoji. Oh, we're going back to that again. Oh, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Okay, yeah. That's no, right. But, um, yeah, so I represent Turning Point Faith um, in Ohio and southern Indiana. Um, and Pastor Rob can... Um, you know, obviously, as we heard last night at Gateway Church in Richmond, he uh, he can expand on it, you know, much much further than than I can. But um, you know, about a year ago, Charlie and, and Pastor Rob and others got together and they saw a real need for the faith community to um, kind of get together and, and start to get more civically engaged and, and stand up for these um, you know conservative principles that we all stand for. Um, and really start to share those biblical uh, principles that are tied to them. Um, so what I do is is um, sort of a liaison between our headquarters in Phoenix and, and churches throughout the region. So um, in my role, I connect Turning Point with churches throughout Ohio, Indiana, um, get chapters started, get folks, you know, really excited to get engaged, get them educated on the issues, and then um, get them out in the local community, um, whether it's doing a prayer rally or um, doing an education series on a, a particular issue or uh, classes like Biblical Citizenship, which we're really excited to start here at Life Church uh, tomorrow night. Um, 
That's a great class, by the way. Biblical citizenship. Check Shout it out, out Rick. Yeah. Green. yeah. Could we could we take one step back for maybe some of our listeners who may not uh, be familiar with Charlie Kirk? Tell us a little bit about him. Tell us a little bit about uh, Pastor Rob. Tell us a little bit about how. Uh, how influential he's been. I mean, for, for, I, I loved what you told me the other day about the, just how much president uh, Trump was reading his tweets every morning. You know, yeah. this is a young man who's incredibly influential in our world today. Yeah. So 10 years ago, Charlie uh, was hoping to get into the United States uh, military Academy, West point. And when he was turned down, uh, he had other opportunities for universities he'd been accepted to, but he decided to take a gap year. And he loves this country, and he couldn't understand why people were bashing it. And so he started Turning Point at 18 years of age while taking a gap year. And he's never gone back, and now he's 28. He's got an organization that he oversees uh, as the president of Turning Point that I think has an annual budget of about $40 million yes. that this young man has just he's he's scrappy and he contends on campuses um he he is a lover of america he is a, a born again on fire believer and uh he sees the principles of this constitutional republic so necessary and he understands the value of it scripturally but he had never been invited to speak in a church before because uh turning point is a secular 501c3 so you have atheists and agnostics, Mormons, Catholics, uh, you have homosexuals that are, are part of Turning Point. And folks say, well, that can't be Christian. Well, it's a secular 501c3, but Charlie Kirk is a Christian. And ours was the first church that he spoke to, and he said, I just don't know if I should be in the pulpit. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, you know, I get bashed for the fact that, you know, it's not a Christian organization. And I said, it doesn't matter. Galatians 3 says that the law is a guardian, a school teacher, to point us to Christ until faith comes. If people are going to row in the streams of liberty and conservative principles, they'll ultimately come to faith. That's what you're doing, Charlie. That's your call. And it clicked with him. So uh, when he started speaking in churches, there was an awakening that, hey, how do we get into more churches? And that's how Turning Point Faith was launched, which is a division of Turning Point itself. And you're on Turning Point Faith board, correct? No. Okay. <laughs> not correct. Not, not correct. I, I, <laughs> you didn't do your homework, I did, I did not okay. research this. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, I, <laughs> who is Rob McCoy? I don't know. I was just having come to Indiana. Charlie's in the book of who's who. I'm in the book of who's he. Uh, I, wait, wait. I got one for that. Hold on a second. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Well, so, so I'm Charlie Kirk's pastor, as you said. I don't say that. Charlie does. And when people hear it, they, 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 Translate it, I'm Charlie Kirk's booking agent. So everybody calls me, hey, can you get Charlie to come and speak at it? And I just want everyone out there to know I'm not doing it. Just don't call me. I'm his pastor, not his booking agent. Um, so uh, I, I officiated their wedding. I've had a chance to minister to him. He's on the road 300, 300 plus days a year. So, I mean, people are saying, does he go to your church? When he's in town, which is once in a blue moon, <laughs> And, and, uh, but we we're together probably every other week. We've traveled extensively together. We were together during the election, hitting a ton of states. I'm 57. He's 28. To keep up with that guy is just tough. I don't think there's a guy who works harder. Um, he's not driven by money. I've seen it. He's just not, he's not driven by glory. Uh, I've, I've seen people compliment him. He's uncomfortable with it. Uh, his relationship with Erica is so upstanding and, and, 
I, I've witnessed just the way he cares for her and the honesty of their relationship. And he just, it's hard to imagine a guy that, that age so put together and um, doing so many things and handling it so well. Sounds like the Lord really has his hand on Charlie for just the time as this. I mean, you think, you know, if you could go back to the 18-year-old kid who got denied West Point, if you could just say, hey, Charlie, God is going to use you to restore America in ways that you can't even begin to imagine right now. You thought you had to go to West Point, but God is saying, yeah. no, I'm making a new way for you, and it's going to be a way that's going to be it's going to be so relevant, and it's going to be outside the box that it's going to blow people's minds. And we've been seeing that. When we were down at Mar-a-Lago in December for the uh, annual Turning Point fundraiser, the amount of energy that the older generation had for what Charlie was doing was amazing. They were saying, Charlie, I've got six grandkids and we're going to get behind you financially because you are the hope for getting them, getting them on the right path when it comes to knowledge and education. And, and, and they see this in, in him. And, you know, I, I think he's like you said, he's just humble. He's just like, I, I'm, I'm doing what God's equipped me to do. He, he's, he's autodidactic, meaning, you know, he's self-taught. And so every time I'm around him, he's reading some deep, thick book, Rousseau, or, you know, he's, he's going through the Enlightenment, or he's, I mean, and, and he'll look at eschatology and not understand it because he stepped, he goes, pre-trib, post-trib, what's, you know, and, and within three hours, he's, he, he's got a, a grasp on it better than any pastor across the country because <laughs> he's devoured books on it. Wow. He is uh, an insatiable reader, just voracious, just reading and reading and reading, Um and you know, I, I was I was looking at the title of your program. If you don't mind me just jumping into this, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm seeing Jesus, sex, and politics, and I'm thinking you did it in order of priority. Absolutely. But you're not going to have sex without politics because that's marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, we in in all honesty, we haven't talked about this in a while. When okay. we when we did name it, we were originally thinking of just calling it sex and politics, and our wives hated it, and so we said. Well, you know, we really need to add Jesus, sex, and politics. Yeah, that Jesus that, is controversial. that that will work even better. And um, they still hated and, it, and they I think they hated it a little bit more. And uh, so then we we put it out. You know, it's one of those things where you know, hey, how do you feel about this? But this was the the name that people came back, and they're like, yes. And it's not it's not to say that you, I get what you're saying, uh, Rob. Like you can't have sex without politics, but we're just saying it's the in the order of fun, right? Jesus yeah. is super fun. <laughs> sex is the next most fun and then politics would be the third most these fun. are all so. the things we're not allowed to talk about that are the most important things in the world right now to talk about that's right how old are you guys uh 39 44 okay i'm 57 politics is a lot more fun at this point. <laughs> just because you don't get any more sex <laughs> that's not true that's not true you start to realize at, hey, hey fellas time out you start to realize at my age that sex is an expression of intimacy just not physical, emotional, and spiritual. And to connect on that, politics is, is critical because it's a gift God's given mankind of intimacy. And you have to understand one another if it's going to be good. Now, mm -hmm. if, if you just want an act where you just got another person, you don't give a flip about them, and you're you're engaging in a physical action, it's not as, as satisfying as connecting on every level. And that's the beauty of figuring out how to live life with another person. It is political. That's what all politics is. Aristotle said it is the highest form of community. It combines morality with sociability. you got to get along. And the more I see it when I get older, the more special that is. It, mm. it just, you know, 
sex when you're young is a lot different than sex when you're older because it is far more intimate. Does it work the same way that I used to? Thir- 31 years. <laughs> well, you know, I, I read a... <laughs> so I'm I a sex expert, by the way. I'm hey, a sex expert. I saw a sex picture expert. of your wife. She's very good looking. She's and my I, wife, and I, not my daughter. And I said, I said, you know, uh, <laughs> is she legally blind? Like, what's up here? This is... You know. <laughs> oh, that's a pot <laughs> calling the kettle black. <laughs> Your wife, she had to have been in rehab when you met her. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Uh, no, so, I, I think uh, you know that it's, it's funny because people they will often write to us and say we don't, we don't think that you talk about sex enough. Um, but when I was in uh, Bible college, I did my my uh, senior project on how to teach sex ed in the church. That because uh, we were avoiding this conversation. Uh, so many kids are learning whatever they learn. They're learning it from the locker room, or they're learning it from you know the magazines that, of course, aren't going to to say it in a in a biblical fashion. This is this is the domain of God. This is the institution created by God, and it's the act that even the act itself is supposed to be a, t- a type shadow and a picture of of the Lord, right? Yeah. And uh, so one of the interesting things I thought. Uh, they came across is actually who has the most sex and it is not your 20 somethings. It's not your 30 somethings. It's your 40 and your 50 somethings. And <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> you say that you have no idea. That's funny. <laughs> you know, sex is what can I get and love is what can I give? Yeah. yeah. And, and when you've been with someone 31 years and you've surrendered your life and you've come to understand someone, I close my eyes, she goes to sleep. I, I begin a sentence, she can finish it and vice versa. She can, my wife can be opening up a gift on her birthday in a crowded room and no one in the room will have a clue, but I know if she loves it or hates it by the movement of her eye. And, and that, that is, that's something that comes with investment. And, and you, you want a short-term gain, you, that, that's all you got is cheap. But when you want to talk about something that is significant and passionate and profound, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So moving back to politics. So that is politics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> people people asked me when I ran for Congress, they said, What do you know about politics? And I said, Well, I've worked in a church for fifteen years and I've seen politics inside and out. And and I think we don't we forget that politics, like you said, is everywhere. It is really how do we how do we interact with people? How, what's how's the community gonna work together? Exactly. And uh, and so with Turning Point, you know, faith, what I love, the vision that Charlie has and, and how you guys are helping to carry that out is that it is the, the church has always been designed to be in the public square. And you said something uh, from the pulpit yesterday, uh, Pastor Rob, when you were preaching at Life Church, you talked about the ecclesia yeah. and what that Thank actually you. means. Dive into that for a second, if you would, because a lot of people think ecclesia is the word for church. Yeah. Well, it's out of Matthew 16. So Jesus is down in Galilee with, you know, these these Orthodox Jewish boys, and they probably haven't traveled outside that area of Galilee. And he takes them up to the headwaters of the Jordan River up to Caesarea Philippi. And if you've ever been there, it's one of the most resplendent places you've ever seen. Every culture that's dominated the region has set up uh, a temple to their god or goddess. So the cliff is is just inundated with... Uh, this is Banas. What's that? This is Banas. This is... This is um, I, I've been there. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm picturing this in my mind. It's there's all kinds of gods. Yeah, yeah, they're in, they're all carved into the yep. hillside there, yep. and and you also have the gates of hell right there. Yeah, and there's in the headwater, so the water is crystal clear, pure. It's in it, and typically in that region, it's scorching hot up there. People go to get away from the heat. 
So Jesus takes these, you know, Orthodox Jewish boys up with him. The rabbi travels them a long distance to travel from Galilee to the headwaters. Mm-hmm. They're up there and it's occupied by the Romans. So it's a cacophony of noise as they're worshiping Bacchus or whatever deity that they've they've got that day. And and it and as they're looking around wide eyed, just you know, taking in all of this pagan worship in the midst of the cacophony of noise, Jesus looks at him and says, Who do men say that I am? And then one says, you know, you're, you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Jeremiah. And he says, yes, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who, you know, chimes in and, and uh, he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And then he says these telling words. He says, upon this rock, I will build my, and everybody says church, but that word didn't come till hundreds of years later. And the one who translated it correctly from the original language into the first English-speaking Bible was Tyndale, and he didn't translate it church. He put assembly. And, and, and the word ecclesia is not a religious term. Jesus co-opted a secular term. He didn't say synagogue. He didn't say temple. He deliberately used, and you can see this in Aristotle's writing, the ecclesia, the word Jesus used, the ecclesia existed hundreds of years before Jesus spoke those words at Caesarea Philippi. And the ecclesia, the ecclesia itself, 400 years, or excuse me, hundreds of years before Christ used the term, Aristotle said that was where the citizens of the city-state would gather to decide the imports and exports, the military, the dealings of the city. So look at it this way. Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, upon this rock I'll build my public square. Upon this rock I'll build my city hall. And then the next words, Follow that. And the gates which enslave, the gates of hell will not prevail. So Jesus has come that we might have freedom. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. You'll have life and life more abundant. You'll be able to flourish. And you look at the law, which the Lord is the lawgiver. He gives the moral law, and from the moral law comes the civil law. So you get the Decalogue, which is a Ten Commandments, and then from that we get all the Levitical laws, and those are civil laws. The laws, which is interesting, and, and you see this in the stairwell of Harvard University, and they actually invoke it at every commencement for the graduation of the law students. And it was a, a, a speech that was given at one of the commencements in, like I think, 1912. I'm, it, that's just off the top of my head, but I know it was in the early 1900s. And the quote is, the law is the wise restraints that make men free. And you think, well, how do restraints make you free? Well, you apply restraints towards evil in order to, to, to pursue excellence. So we're watching the Bengals, and we're seeing their quarterback. Go ahead, tell them who it is. Mr. Uh, Joey Franchise, Joe Burrow. There you go. All right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's Connor Royce from Turning Point USA, everyone. So, so this is an LSU boy. Uh, he's an LSU boy. He did real well with LSU, and now he's in, with, with the Bengals. And, and the reason why he's such a good football player is because people his age, young people his age, I think he's 24, most of them are self-indulgent. They're out partying. Now he's probably doing that, but he's getting ready for the game. But, but most of them are out partying, and they're not applying restraints towards their life to practice the art of football. And thus, Burroughs gets to enjoy football at a level of excellence none of us will ever enjoy because he front-loaded his life and he applied restraints. So any athlete understands the concept of the wise restraints that make you free, free to excel, free to accomplish greater things. But if a society does not have the moral law, 
they then take the law not to set men free, but to enslave them. And so you weaponize the law to enslave man, but Christ has come to set you free. So we look at this constitutional republic we have in the United States of America where we have we, we constitute 4% of the world's population. And stop me because I'll go on forever. We constitute 4% of the world's population. Yet we're responsible for more patents, more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies. We've accumulated more wealth than any culture in the history, 6,000 years of recorded history. Now they say it's because of the natural resources of North America. South America has far more natural resources, including Africa. They have far more natural resources. That has nothing to do with it. When Vody Bauckham, who is a, an amazing author, um, he's a black pastor that, that teaches in the Zambia Bible School, he's the president of Zambian Bible College, and he takes these black African Bible students and he shows these young men a map of where the concentration of the wealth is. And he says, what do you surmise of that as they're looking at Europe and, and North America? And they say, well, the white man is superior. And he says, okay, I guess that's one thing you can deduce from it. But then he overlays it with a map of the Protestant Reformation. He says, now what do you deduce? And they say, the white man is not superior, but his ideology is. Mm. Meaning that the scriptures, the wise restraints that make you free, when applied to culture, moral law, civil law, those cultures flourish. And so we were given a constitutional republic. Where did our founders get it? In the wilderness, in the Old Testament, three to five million Jews enslaved cry out to God. God sends a deliverer and an 80-year-old man named Moses. Moses confronts Pharaoh as God ordered him to and says, let my people go. And every tyrant always contends with God and says, who is God that I should obey him? God shows him through 10 plagues, last one being the Passover, the angel of death, and kills the firstborn in Egypt. And Pharaoh relents. He realizes this is a serious God. He's bigger than our gods. Because each of the plagues contended with the gods in the region. And God showed himself stronger. That last one, the Passover, rocked his world. He lets them go, and they leave with the wealth of the Egyptians. He realizes he's losing his slave economy and his ability to have other people do the work so he can live in the lap of luxury. And he doesn't want to be doing his own laundry, so he sends his, his army after him. And there's mountain. Oh, and by the way, when when Pharaoh said, "Who is God that I should obey him?" He tried to contend with God. He doubled the brick output and reduced the materials for the for the Hebrews. And so, what did these people who were crying for liberty, the three to five million Jews, do when Moses confronted Pharaoh? And then Pharaoh doubled the brick output and reduced materials. They wanted to kill Moses. They wanted to kill Moses. <laughs> the people want liberty. They just don't want to fight for it. One in nine Americans fought the Revolutionary War. And yet we all are the beneficiaries of it. And now we're watching as tyrants are taking over and and a national psychosis with a fear of a virus that has a 99.7% survival rate. So when they finally exodus and they're leaving, Pharaoh sends his military after him. And then once again, mountain range on either side, Red Sea in front of him, the army behind him, the people want to kill Moses again. God parts the Red Sea, delivers them, drowns Pharaoh's army, get into the wilderness. This is the Constitutional Republic. They get into the wilderness three to five million Jews, manna every morning, water where there wasn't, coming out of rocks, and then their clothes didn't wear out. I mean, miraculously for 40 years, shoes, clothes didn't wear out. And then Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and gets a downloaded moral app, the moral law, the Decalogue. He comes down, and the entire nation's in debauchery. It's like a rave party. 
and they've got a golden calf and Aaron said, no, we just threw the golden and this thing popped out and you hear the <laughs> tip, 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 and they've got neon, the little, you know. And, and, and Moses does what God says. He instructs the children in the moral law. You don't steal, you don't lie, you don't covet, you don't murder. And then he places it in the center of the community. And here's the greatest miracle. Three to five million people live together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army. Mm. What's my point? Well, my point is this. That's the Constitution, the Decalogue. But where's the Republic? Jethro went to Moses and said, you can't do this. You need to appoint godly men who are not covetous, who love the law and appoint them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, federal, state, county, local. Isaiah says the Lord is our king, our lawgiver, and our judge, executive, legislative, judicial branch. That's right. And, and so this constitutional republic is what our founders saw mm. because it's the difference between nature and nurture. Yeah. Nature, they understood the nature of man. He's sinful. He needs to be held in, a, in accountability because power wants to concentrate. It's like Lord of the Rings. Mm. And they want power more than truth. And so you've got to branch that out, executive, legislative, judicial. I loved what you brought out uh, yesterday when you spoke at Noblesville. Um, you know, when you talk about what the problem is inside the human heart, the Bible yeah. reveals that, sin you know, nature. I mean, it, it's the sin nature, right? We start with, we're not good. If you, if you have a, a biblical approach to things, yeah. you know, I am not good. I, and I always love that story of, of, uh, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And he good says, hold the phone. He said, why do you call me good? This There's great, none Nathan. good but oh, God. Awesome. And then he says, <clears throat> Jesus essentially is going, you're right, I am good. I am God. Do you know that? <laughs> and and I think it's uh, it, it's there for us to juxtapose. He's good. We're not. Yeah, people ask me how you're doing. I don't say I'm good. I always say I'm well. Hmm. Well, I mean, in, Only in, the God truth, in, in the truth sense, God is good, right? Yeah. But you take, I think our founders knew that. They knew they that, that because of their understanding of the Bible, and it used to be that the intelligent people in our world understood the Bible. You understood Greek mythology, read Greek mythology. You can't understand Shakespeare if you don't understand the Bible and you understand Greek mythology, right? They were educated in this. They understood this is the propensity of humans towards sin and brokenness. And so you can't, you, you've got to work in the system that's going to, 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 to recognize that we're not all going to break down at the same time. Hence the three, the three branches of government, right? Amen. We're going to, when you go wrong, here's one that didn't go wrong, you know, because we probably won't all go wrong at the same time. And you have those checks and balances. Now you, you look at that versus the French revolution where they're taking the teachings of Voltaire and saying everybody is innately good, which is basically the premise that most people believe in the world today. Oh, we're all good people at heart, right? No, you're not. No, you're not. But what did the French Revolution get versus the United States Revolution? A very different outcome. Yeah. Guillotine. They've had, in the same amount of time of the French Revolution, they've had 17, uh, diff, uh, I'm sorry, seven different uh, constitutions within, and how within, and, 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 and the United States Constitution has we're the we're the we're the we're the oldest country on the face of the earth under one birth certificate. Yes, right. Forty two. Yep. Yeah. Now, now the French, uh, the American Revolution was life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or virtue, because happiness is the highest virtue. 
But the French Revolution was liberty, equality, and fraternity. Everybody wants liberty. And they think, okay, equality. But then what's the fraternity? Fraternity is you're one of mine. Yeah, community. You get fraternity, yeah. Soviet. Yeah, it's communism. We, yeah, it, it's yeah. this idea that that we're we're uh, um, we're of the same group. Well, and it's for you. You'll hear even in COVID, you heard uh, for the greater good, right? You heard that all the time. Like sacrifice for the greater good of the community. That the state is the god. Yeah, and and you must submit yourself to the state. So it's a difference between God is in control and the state yeah. is the ultimate. You know what's interesting? You bring bring that up. We get accused a lot of times of being Christian nationalists or or dominionists. That's yeah, my, that's my favorite one. And, and all they can do is throw stuff out to see if it sticks. None of it applies, right? And and Christian nationalists, in the very like basic term, is is a Christian who worships the state over God. And if you look at actually who's doing that in our in our country right now, it's those on the left. Yeah. They're saying the state is God. Don't question the state. When the state says to shut your church down, you do it. When the state says to put a mask on your kids, you do it. Yeah. When the state says to give them your taxes or whatever it is, you do it and you do not question. That is a Christian nationalist, which is not the right. The right is saying, don't tread on me. Get off my back or else you're going to pay for it, state. The, the, the term Christian nationalist is, in my estimation, put forward by Christians who don't want to engage in politics. So yeah. they want to give some justification for their apathy and inactivity. So that leads into the great segue. So you're a pastor from California. We didn't really set you up at all. We just kind of went right into this. But you're a pastor from California, Thousand Oaks, California, Godspeak. You have been on the front lines of defying Governor Gavin Mussolini out there. And you've been saying, we're not shutting down. God, God's right. law is higher than your law. It's, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's lawful. And you've stood on what is lawful rather than what just is legal. And so the uh, so tell us about kind of what you've been doing. But but also tell us what the other churches around you, because there's some big churches out there, and we won't list them by name, but you could certainly go out and see like these mega churches that could be super, super relevant and influential in our country right now, but they be, they've whittled away to irrelevance and become basically just country clubs. Um, so yeah, take us down that, that path a little bit. I'm going to take you back uh, to November um, of 2018. When um, when a, a gunman went into the uh, the country western uh, dance hall called Borderline in our town, and I'd been elected, and I was the mayor pro tem of the city of Thousand Oaks, which is the thirteenth largest city in California, and per capita, I think it's one of the wealthiest cities in California. And I was the mayor pro tem on that fateful night, and he went in and shot twelve young people, and then one officer, a friend of mine, Ron Helis, was killed. Um, and two of the kids that were killed were from our congregation. And following that, our city is surrounded by open space, and it's this beautiful mountain range that goes over to the Pacific Ocean. It's a stunning place to live. A lot of actors live there because we're so close to Hollywood, and we're just down the way from Santa Barbara, the American Riviera. And the fire started in the open space, and it was surreal. In the 57-year history of the city, there's never been a more seminal evil moment or of darkness that descended on us. And um, that night I got the knock on my window. I opened it up. My daughter was there and she said, daddy, there's been a shooting. And I went down to the command center and the parents were showing up because once the gunman had fired into the ceiling and then started to hunt the kids, they broke the windows and rabbited out of the dance hall. And many of them were cut severely through the broken glass and they dropped all their phones. And so all the parents were calling and the investigators talked about how the floor was vibrating from the wow. hundreds of phones that had been left. Wow. And 
parents didn't have any word of their children and we'd put up a hotline so they could call to find out if their children were one of the victims. And we started to see him gathering at the command center in the parking lot of the mall close to the borderline. And these folks weren't getting word. And so we, we didn't want him to freeze at night. So we set it up at the uh, Alex Fiore teen center where they would gather. And I went there about two o'clock in the morning. I was actually driving home after we disbanded the command center. I was driving home and the Lord said, turn around, go back. Cause I'd been a sheriff's chaplain and I knew how to deal with trauma. And so I turned around and went back cause I know a lot of the sheriffs and I got there, and the parents were there sitting quietly, and they didn't have any coffee for them. I had the church bring down the coffee. They didn't have anything. They had blankets. They didn't have anything. So we, we just scrambled to care for these folks while they were waiting for this terrible news. And I told them, you know, expect the best, prepare for the worst. And we were with them the whole night. And I was with them all the way to the next day when they finally announced. And I was with every parent when they were told that their child was a victim. And there's nothing you can do to prepare for that. And the screaming, the guttural cries were mm. uh, unlike anything I'd heard. And I say that because in the morning when I came out, the PIO, the uh, public information officer, said they want to do interviews and all the cameras are out there. And I, I, I was new at this. And I said, well, call the mayor. And he said, no, you're up. Because the mayor was a firefighter and he was dealing with the fires. Mm. So I went out to meet the press. And I, I remember telling every single one of them, please pray for us. I, I remember watching some of the reporters cry. And I won election to that office by 52 votes. I won re-election by over 4,000. And I was going to be up for re-election in 2020. And now I'm serving as the mayor. I, I did. It started on December 5th. So just a few short days later from being mayor pro tem and the shooting and the fires to being mayor. And, and putting in a, a memorial park on the one-year anniversary. And my enemies became my friends. And, and though the, the people didn't know what to do with the pastor in politics, they were grateful that day there, there, that there was one and mm-hmm. that, that I, could have, I could put a spiritual understanding. I said, evil has visited our city. I said that on national news. And the words came out of my mouth. I love my city. I hurt for every one of those people. I was with every one of them. So when the governor says on April 3rd, 2019, and I, we, we already knew the severity of the virus, we, we'd had the Diamond Princess. We had the data. We knew this was a COVID issue, and, and th- this was like a Petri dish. We knew exactly how it operated, and there were all kinds of you know information flying out there, but we knew what it was, and the governor would not declare the church essential. He was going to shut us down on our Holy Week, Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. He was going to shut down our Holy Week. He kept the abortion clinics open. He said they were essential. The liquor stores were essential. The cannabis distributors were essential, but not the church. And so as we were contemplating, communion is a sacrament to us, and it's Palm Sunday. And you're telling me that we're not essential, even if we follow CDC standards. Our sanctuary holds 500. We'll have 10 seats. And we did communion anyways. And, and it took us almost four hours to do communion and, and the, the press descended on us that we were killing grandmothers. But to the press's credit, when they got there, they realized it was the cleanest place imaginable. We did it right. And my contention was the governor does have, has no right to declare the church non-essential. I don't, I don't care who you are, governor. You, do have, you have no right to do that. Now, we did what we did, and we did it well. We did it resplendently. And we honored the Lord, and we, we, we passed out the sacrament. No one's going to be separated from the body of Christ, period. And the 
biggest backlash we got was from churches. Wow. Wow. Well, because what? you put them under the spotlight of what they're going to do. And, you know, we normally don't give much credit to Governor Holcomb, but he did declare that the church here in Indiana was essential. Yeah, after some pushing. Yeah, he, yeah. he did. Yeah, he did do that. Uh, but I, I will say this. The church that the churches around you, Rob, most likely were coming at it from Romans 13 perspective, from a really warped idea of what Romans 13 is. They were saying, you're not submitting to authority. And Romans 13 commands that you obey the authority that God has placed up, which would be Governor, uh, Governor Newsom. And so you, you're actually out of God's will. What do you say to pastors like that? I said, you're not reading the passage right. Amen. It says that, we're, that God appoints all positions of authority and we're to submit to that authority, but they're there for our good. They're there for our good. And then it goes on to say that they, they, carry, they don't carry the sword in vain. They're ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who would do evil. There's a contrast between good and evil. You, it, it's not unlimited submission to tyrants. That's what happened to the church in Germany. Yeah. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer is the only Christian minister you can think of that was had had any substance coming out of Nazi Germany. Uh, tell us what uh, Jonathan Mayhew, uh, what did he say yeah. in the revolution? I appreciate that. Jonathan Mayhew died in 1766. He was a minister that ministered on the eastern seaboard to most of the founders. And John Adams credited Jonathan Mayhew with starting the War of Independence because Mayhew coined a term, disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God, when he had done an exegetical work on Romans 13. And his, he, his conclusion, which was very clear, and, and this was the position for all Protestants up until the last 50 years where they've used this first, which, by, no, more than the last 50 years, in the last 80 years, because that's the number one verse that they used in Germany is Romans 13 in Nazi Germany. Mayhew said, when the authorities cease to do good, they cease to be the authority. Wow. And and he he died in 1766. The Declaration of Independence had not been signed and the Constitution was not written. Governor Newsom swore to defend that Constitution, the seven articles and the 27 amendments. He swore to defend it. I did too when I took the oath of office. So I resigned the night before Palm Sunday on the 3rd from my office because I knew they'd censure me, and I could not, in good conscience, allow a government to do that. And I took on a position of, of, of pushing back because it's my right and my duty in accordance with the, with the Declaration of Independence. So our Constitution declares the church is free. It's the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law. You have, the, the, you have the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom of the press. The press is freely there covering our thing and not defending us, and we're, we're enveloped in the same, the, the same First Amendment they're in. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy. You said the church proclaims the truth, the press reports the truth. The press reports the truth, the, the church proclaims it, and the people live it. Yeah. And if the press is bought and the pulpits are silent, the people are rudderless. And the power of the First Amendment is because in the 6,000 years of recorded history, we were given a constitutional republic for only the second time, first in the wilderness and then here in the U.S. And that constitutional republic, they looked and they said, look, we have served under one man, the divine right of kings, who believes himself to be uh, higher than us. And he was born to this level. And you must submit, and I own everything. And, and, and they looked at the scriptures, they said, no, man is created in the image of God, and, he, and God's come that they might have life, life more abundant to flourish. They have inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness among many, 
And, and we're going to make a nation where they're the sovereign and the government's going to be from the bottom up. Instead of an oligarchy, it's going to be from the bottom up and the sovereign in America is the first three words of the preamble, we the people. So if you're the king or you're the king or you're the king or I'm the king, which we are, every king needs a counselor, every president needs a cabinet. So the, the founders gave the king of America a, a counselor and a cabinet in the First Amendment, the press, the pulpit, and speech to deliberate for truth. But the, the, the press is no longer on our side. They're on the side of the elites and the oligarchy. The pulpits are now bowing to tyranny instead of setting captives free. Mm -hmm. They say, I don't love my neighbor because I'd expose them to a virus. I'm a super spreader. I'm not a super spreader of the virus. We were super spreaders of courage because we're standing in defiance to tyranny. Our people didn't drop like flies. They didn't die. We have herd immunity. We're doing great. A couple of people died, but it was, it, it, it was just in the course of life. And, and when I had to be brought before the judge on contempt charges, we did a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act. And at the time, there were 107 tragic deaths from, from COVID, attributed to COVID. In, in Thousand Oaks? In Ventura County. Okay. Only two of them died from COVID. Wow. A 90-plus-year-old man and a woman in her late 80s. All the rest died with. They said the youngest victim, the youngest victim dying of COVID, he died of a fentanyl overdose wow. and tested positive for COVID. The next youngest, they, they, they put it through the paper, dies of COVID. He was in a car accident with crushed lungs and tested positive for COVID. This is the biggest scam on the planet. COVID's out there. COVID kills. Select few, 17 and under, less than 300 deaths nationwide, and every single one of them has a severe comorbidity, whether it's lymphoma, whether it's leukemia, obesity, along with diabetes. And yet this shot that they're taking and, and VAERS website, Vaccine Adverse Events Reaction Site, has been in action since 1990. We've calculated all vaccine deaths in the United States. They've never gone over 200. And it's underreported because it takes four and a half hours to fill out the paperwork if you're a doctor and you get hassled when you do it. So it has to be very severe if you're going to take time to do that from your busy schedule. We've never had more than 200 deaths from all vaccines combined. With this shot, VAERS already has recorded 23,000 deaths, wow. Wow. 800,000 permanent disabilities, and there's more deaths to our children from this shot than from the virus itself. Wow. Wow. With uh, myocarditis and, and things of that nature. They'll, they'll be dead in five years yeah. with myocarditis, pericarditis. You hear that and you go, oh, well, they got pericarditis. They got a little swelling. No, that's, that's scar tissue and they'll be dead in five years. Yeah. You did this to them. You are complicit. And it is, a, it, it is a, a psychosis of fear that has enveloped the nation. If they said that the virus only affects, you know, four feet and above, they could get every American crawling on their knees to work. Yeah, it, it, It's all based on fear. But Christians, listen, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a Amen. power, love, and a sound mind. Well, and, it, you know, we're, we're being chased in many ways by shadows. And the, and the Bible says that, that we'll, we'll, we'll have a terror overtake us and we'll flee in every direction, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it's, this is, a, this is a spiritual thing that they're, they're playing on. And so many, uh, so many people are looking for safety and valuing safety over freedom, you know? And God, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is there's liberty, yeah. You know, uh, I was preaching at a at a church in Pendleton yesterday, and uh, I was preaching on the um, the prodigal son story. Here's 
here's the father that handles this unbelievable insult that his son says, hey, give me my inheritance before you're dead. I don't want to wait for you to die, right? In the Eastern world, right. huge insult, one of the great, greatest right. ones in the scripture. But, but God permits it, you know? Freedom is so important to the Lord. It's one of the great ideas that has ever been propagated among men. And we and we opt for safety over freedom when you don't value what you have. We, you've been bringing up the, um, you know, the, the children of Israel in the wilderness. It's interesting because it ties into, you know, turning point, going after the universities, right? We would look at that and we would say, there's no way in God's green earth that anything is going to come out of the universities that's going to help us. That's the cesspool of the world today. And yet, there was the children of Israel to go into the promised land only took those on under the age of 20. You know, there was something that God looked at and said, I have to almost get rid of this mentality, but I got to get people to come back to faith in me that are young and we're going to go do impossible things together. The secular progressive left operates off of feelings, and you can do a bumper sticker a lot easier. Conservative principles require education and and explanation. That's right. And so, you know, sitting to my left here, we have Connor, and and here he is, one of the young folks participating in Turning Point USA, Turning Point Faith. And and when we look at when we look at this, the 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 young people must understand this. Benjamin Franklin said, he who would give up his freedom for the sake of security deserves neither. But here's here's the difference between freedom and liberty. Thomas Jefferson said, freedom is having choices, but liberty is doing what's right. So when, when, when the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free, he wrote that in prison. You can exercise liberty wherever you are. It's going to come at a cost. And, and each of these young people like Connor, when they step on a campus and they stand for conservative principles, it's, it's easier for them to declare themselves a Christian on campus than it is to declare themselves a conservative. They're ridiculed and mocked. They're attacked. They're censored. And, and, and there's, there's no presence of, of Christianity for the most part on these college campuses because they've acclimated to the culture instead of driving it. Mm-hmm. Breitbart used to say that Politics is downstream from culture, but the church should be uh, upstream from culture, driving politics. And and that's what these young people are doing. They're stepping into the fray, exercising liberty, which then ultimately will give them freedom, having choices. But those those freedoms have been taken. If you get $100 in your paycheck and you, and you go to a restaurant where everything on the menu is $100 or less, you have complete freedom to order anything on the menu. But if the government takes 25%, you have 25% less choices, 25% less freedom. And that's what they're advocating for. Holding government in check by the, by the laws of nature, nature's God, and the freedom of individuality, which is an, an American ideal. That's why we love football so much. The individual is celebrated, but the team goes forward. It, it, it's, it's, it's an American principle. And the church must be the advocate of that because without the church doing it, they have, while, while they've been building, busy building, uh, busy, you know, building b- buildings, budgets, and baptisms, the secular progressive left has dominated the ecclesia. While the church has been busy playing church and doing church, the secular progressive left has dominated the ecclesia. Our freedoms have evaporated. Nature 
meaning the Christian worldview is not implemented. It's now nurtured. Man is going to achieve perfection. It's another utopia that ends up with billions dead in the ash heap of history. And then this final thing, we've got a lot of moral people out there, but the church is, is infected with moral pietism. And I'll give you an example. I can't vote for a president who's been three times married and twice divorced. And I, I look at people who say that, you know, when, when Trump was running, I go, I look at people who say that and I go, look, that's fine. But just take Samson out of the hall of faith. Mm-hmm. Name one moral thing about Samson's life. He was in a prostitute's bed all night and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He was going to pay off a gambling debt and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. I can't teach that in Sunday school. That blows my <laughs> mind. <laughs> and you, you think, God, why'd you choose this kid? I mean, he was prophesied in the womb to deliver God's people like Jesus was. He's raised with a Nazarite vow. He's homeschooled. And you're thinking, this guy's going to be special, and you want to hear his first word. So you find him in Scripture and Judges. What did he say? That Philistine woman, go get her. I want her. That guy came. That guy, that guy went off the reservation. And, and, and his life is a, a tragedy. Why did God put him in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11? Because Judges 14.4. What Samson's parents didn't realize is God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Samson was willing to do what God's people weren't, confront the evil, and he was uniquely equipped to do it. And you talk about the seven mountains of cultural influence, and I'm not talking about dominionism. I'm talking about what any sociologist would say drives culture, arts, entertainment, media, business, politics, religion, education, and family. Now, let's, let's overlay that on Trump. Business, Trump brand world renowned arts and entertainment number one television show in america politics he took out 17 republican candidates and the most heavily funded democratic candidate in the history of the country media he did it with a twitter account <laughs> he's the only president to thank ever you jack lose. dorsey right yeah and they and they took away his twitter account because they need to defang this guy yeah you, 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 you look at every one of those mountains, even family, three times married, twice divorced, his ex-wives love him, his kids are all successful in their own right. I don't care where you look, this guy's equipped to handle the culture. We're not hiring a pastor in chief. Mm-hmm. We're, we're hiring a bodyguard for Western civilization. Yeah. And if you want a better candidate, the problem is you didn't educate your children with the, the wise restraints that make men free and front load them to be able to handle. We don't have any Protestants sitting in the Supreme Court because we haven't done our homework to educate them. If we if we applied this moral pietism that you talked about to David. Can, can I add one that real yeah, quick? Yeah. Hold, hold the David thought because I, I just want to conclude this so you know where I'm going. M- morality is different than character. I think it was Edmund Burke who said, all that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. I think it was him. Yep. The difference between morality and character. Morality is not doing what's right. Excuse me, not doing what's wrong. Morality is not doing what's wrong. Character is doing what's right. So if your child come home, comes home from school and says, Mommy, Daddy, all the kids in the school called Susie fat, but I didn't. You go, that's the moral thing to do, but where's your character? Would what, have stopped them from yeah, saying why, it. Why didn't you yeah. tell them to stop it? Yep, yeah. Well, they would have laughed at me. I would have been the only one. It doesn't matter. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Yes. 
for which Christ has set you free. Truth will be ridiculed, it will be violently opposed, and then it will be considered self-evident. Do your job, church. And when you were out in California, there were very few churches doing their job. They were moral, but they didn't have character. They weren't doing what was wrong, but they certainly weren't standing for what was right. No, the Lord gave me a vision back in 2018 and 19, and I saw... I saw this warrior ask, and I, I do believe it was a it was kind of a picture of of who Trump it didn't look like Trump, but it was this big warrior, um, you know, coming into a, se- a sheep's pasture, and and he had totally armored up, and he had a sword, and and you could, t- I mean, big, not you didn't want to mess with this guy, and he didn't, he wasn't concerned with the sheep, and the shepherds were start started to ridicule this warrior that the Lord had placed in the seat pasture, and I saw his eyes; they were scanning the horizon, like looking far, far away. He wasn't concerned with the sheep in the pasture. He wasn't concerned with the shepherds. He was concerned with something else out in the horizon. And I remember he began then to point, and he began to say, "There's evil coming. There's great evil that's going to bear down in the pasture." And I remember the the shepherds in my vision that the Lord gave me. They started yell at him, "So you're scaring the sheep. Stop doing that." And he actually he actually tripped over a sheep as he was beginning to walk briskly towards the end of the pasture to head off this evil that's coming. And he and he he hit a sheep with his foot and and the sheep you know scamp, scampered off right. And the and the shepherd said, "You just hurt a sheep. You just hurt them. What are you doing?" And then they started going after the warrior. And instead of being able to fight the evil that was going to be bearing down in the pasture, he had to not really fight the shepherds, but he had to fend them off. And the Lord told me, he said, Micah, I have sent warriors into the battle to defend the shepherds and the sheep. And if the shepherds don't stop turning on the warriors, there will be no warriors left. And the shepherds will have no choice but to fight the evil when it comes to the pasture. He says, not, he said, I do not want these shepherds to have to be on the front line of the battle right now. I'm sending in warriors to do the job for you. But if you don't stop ridiculing them and fighting them, they will leave. They will be fine because they're warriors, but that evil will bear down, and and you, the shepherds, will have to do the job of the warrior. Dude, you got great dreams. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I also wanted to be Joe Montana when I grew up too. So uh, that was tell one me of about dreams. the David illustration. <laughs> well, I love King David. David, you know, David is is a man after God's own heart, but it wasn't because he made every moral decision. It was because he knew where to run when he got in trouble. Amen. He. Uh, he, he has multiple wives. That didn't turn out good for him. No. He wasn't a good father. He was a great, a great leader, great warrior, not a great dad. You know, um, he, he has killed tens of thousands, which is a, a great way of, of illustrating that, that, that war is not the same as murder. He's accused of murder one time when he kills Uriah the Hittite, yeah. right? He's an adulterer. He steals, I mean, David looks more like a Bill Clinton, right? In the, in the, in the world of, of, of maybe, uh, you know, what politics. people say is moral within politics. Yeah. And yet, and yet David loves the Lord very greatly. If you took the same things and applied them <clears throat> that when people want to say, well, God can't use, you know, a, a Donald Trump in the world. Because he's got multiple marriages and and he said some 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 things that are maybe repulsive. I I think you'd have to disqualify David. You'd have to say, well, God couldn't use David. I I don't know where 
Donald Trump's walk with the Lord is, except that I would say it's in a, it's maybe maybe in a very uh, growing or learning way. He's he's he might not be a super mature believer, um, but but I, I when you say we're not, I'm not really looking for, you know, a a pastor in that in that role. Uh, I'm looking for a warrior in that role. You'd have to discount people like like Churchill. You'd have to throw Churchill out. Because Churchill's very, very similar to to Trump. Boy, did we need Churchill? Lincoln. What what about uh, what about uh, Lincoln. Patton? Lincoln. Oh, Lincoln, Lincoln. Lincoln. You know what about Patton? You know, Pat, Patton had all kinds of rough around the edges thing, but we needed that leader in the world at the time. You know, what about Roosevelt? You know, like you have to go through <laughs> Teddy, and, not Franklin. Yeah, you'd you'd, you'd have to <laughs> just FYI. Sorry. <laughs> Have you ever heard FDR's prayer? Uh, I have actually. It's, it, it, yeah, it is good. You, and he's the one who said we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that man, boy, that's true today, right? You, you would have to for the people who are looking for Trump to be perfect in all these ways. I'll tell you what, God uses a lot of very imperfect men. You know, you brought up Samson. You know, uses these imperfect men because he's perfect, not because we're perfect. And he, it just seems like. You know, there's there there's this question of how we're going to handle fear and intimidation. Mike and I, one of our first conversations, which you know, I, I was fun because we we're I was looking at my Facebook the other day, and one of the first places we got together and had breakfast was two years ago at Rosie's here in Noblesville, and we sat and talked about the spirit of intimidation. Here's Elijah who has this major win from from the Lord on Mount Carmel. And then he slays all of these these priests of of, of Jezebel, oh. and Jezebel offers this as they are today. So you'll be tomorrow, right? You're gonna die like they did. Here's a man who allows fear to hit him so so hard that he goes running for his life and belly aching that he's the only one. And God's kind of letting him do that as he's running. And and even feeding him, but he keeps asking him this question: Why are you here? Why why are you here? Like, you know, you're running in the wrong direction. I just gave you a major win on that on that mountaintop, and you're running in the wrong direction until God takes him to 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 Mount Horeb, and there he you know gets this this experience with God. But it's almost like God saying, "Hey, I can't use you." If you're going to act like this, Amen. and I need to replace you, yeah, he gives the with, anointing yeah, to Elisha. You right go there. get Elisha now. Yeah, you go get you go get Jehu now. You go do these things because you're not useful to me because a spirit of intimidation is all over you, and I need you to shake this thing off, man. That's a good word. And the Lord did that in a way that was that was gentle. He wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the fire. He did it he came in a still small voice. And so even in the midst of Elijah being removed because he was intimidated and he was fearful, God was still gentle with him, right? And I think that's the character of the Lord is saying, "Hey, it's not that these churches in America that aren't standing boldly, are, God doesn't love you. No, he does. He he's going but he's going to replace you. He's going to remove you." I I was talking to somebody the other day. There's a church in Indianapolis that's shutting down and it's led by it's led by really weak uh, leadership. I mean, they're scared to address any cultural issue right now. And I and I didn't say this, but I was thinking I could have called that two years ago. And it's not that God doesn't love them; 
He does. This man has a, the leader of this church has a big heart, loves the Lord. I know it, but he's scared. And the Lord has said, hey, I can't use you if you're going to be scared. Well, I think he goes back to the question, why are you here? Yeah. This is not your place. Why are you here? What's the why and what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is fascinating. And I love this. And I, I mean, we could talk about it all day long. We got to wrap it up here. But but I just want to say thank you for bo- to both of you what you're doing. Pastor Rob, you are just, you're such an inspiration for so many people. When we posted that you were coming to Life Church in, in Noblesville, we had people all over saying, oh my gosh, like he's amazing. We love the encouragement that he gives. We've heard him on podcasts. And so keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for being a freedom fighter and just standing for, for heaven's truth. And Connor, man, like keep it up, man. You guys are doing incredible things with turning point faith and turning point and uh and and you're winning the next generation dude that's that is awesome i love it i and, love it and any churches out there that that want to tap into what's taking place across america because churches like you nathan what you're doing here and and the blessing of it and then being a covering for micah churches that are engaging the ecclesia are exploding in growth. We've yes. grown 400%. We've baptized more people in a year than the attendance of the church was a year ago. Yeah. We're looking for an 80, we're, we're, we're in the purchase of an 85,000 square foot building, two-tier parking structure. I mean, that happened. How we're, many people did you have before 2020? Uh, less than 400, now I mean, we're at 2,000. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I say that Amazing. because if, if you want to do a turning point chapter at your church, Every single church that has embraced Turning Point Faith and and seeking to understand liberty and the founders, they explode. Connor's here to help you. Just go to tpfaith.com. We'll get you plugged in. Love it. Can Love we? It. Say, I, I want to say something to you. I, I had a, a a pastor who called me recently, and they're they're locked in that question of engaging in the culture. In pol- in what they call politics, I just kind of think of pol- politics as policies. And 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 there you don't you think know, of it as poly meaning many ticks meaning blood sucking parasites. I, I that's not the first definition. <laughs> oh, okay, well that's what, I, that's what comes but to my mind. I just want to say to fellow pastors, uh, you know here here at Life Church, you know, and and you just heard the testimony from from Pastor Rob. Uh, people are looking for leadership, mm-hmm. and they're looking for that which is genuine, and they want to follow people who are not afraid and. And I think fear is that thing that can hit you for a moment. But, you know, 360 times in the scripture, the Bible says, do not fear. You're not allowed to stay in a, in a mentality of fear. Fear is that thing you have a choice over and you must shake it off. The Holy Spirit is, is the one who, it's, when he's telling us to do something, Typically, whatever the Holy Spirit asks us to do is the hardest thing to do. Amen. It's the thing that's going to cost you the most. Amen. It's the thing that, 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 that's going to call out of you whether you are going to walk with the Lord in your anointing and in, and in your authority and office. You've been placed in this office to lead the sheep, not to follow and see where they're going to go and hold your finger up to get a pole, you know, and, and in the political winds. And I just want to tell you, don't be afraid. Don't, don't fear being who God has called you to be. I, I love when you said, what's the why and what you do, or you pointed out the why aspect of it, because pastor, that this is this is going to help you. It helped me, and I encourage you. When you're up against a decision, what is the why and what you're doing? Is the why the fear of man, or is the why the fear of God? 
It's good. Why are you posting a black tile? Where in scripture does it point that out? When you're saying Black Lives Matter, we all agree with that. But why are you supporting the symbol for Black Lives Matter organization that is supported by Planned Parenthood? Margaret Sanger, a eugenicist, wanting to get rid of the inferior races. 4% of the population of America, black childbearing females, is responsible for almost 40% of the abortions. It's a holocaust of the black community. That's exactly right. And you're posting a black tile. Why? Because you don't want people to think that you're culturally, culturally irrelevant. Listen, if you want to stand for life, in California, we don't just abort the children. And we've aborted more children than the, it's estimated, than the entire population of Canada. We don't just abort them. We, we take their heart on the downbeat and harvest the organ. And then the organs we don't need, we decimate the body and then flush it into the sewer system of our state. We have to apologize to Nazi Germany for what we're doing. Absolutely. Pastor, where are you in that fight? What's the why? in what you're doing because we're going to stand before him he appointed us as shepherds we've got a job to do nathan that is such a profound point you made i'm grateful for all you do indiana is well served hoosiers in this state are blessed to have you shepherds i'm so honored to be in your presence i told you that before but i mean that with all my heart and thank you for blessing connor and employing tp faith amen well, it's, an, well, it's, an, it's an honor well it, yeah. and it's you know i'll tell you we we want to live up to that those are those are those are, are very high that's high praise, but we want to live up to that. And I think to be able to speak it to young, from from older pastors to younger pastors, you know, there's a, there's always a a time in our life where we we pass that on to the next generation. I think that's the beauty of what Turning Point is doing, because you you got to you've got to touch the universities, and I think some people think all is lost in the universities. Yeah, but. But God is ever at work. His Holy Spirit is always at work. He's at work in college students. Mm. And from the places you would never expect salvation to come from. Come no on. one would ever expect salvation to come from a manger. Yeah. In the Lord of the Rings, no one ever expects salvation to come from the Shire yeah. <laughs> and the tiniest of creatures. No one would expect there to be a transformation on the college campuses, but I am telling you, there. You talked about Tyndall earlier. Go back and study uh, Tyndall and what happened at the universities, those ancient universities, where for where fifteen thousand people came out to hear the word of God read. Uh, I heard Jordan Peterson say it. Uh, I'm trying to think of who he said it to, but it, uh, recently he he had talked about that the Bible is the bedrock of truth that's it right the bible is the bedrock of truth we know that as evangelical believers the world doesn't know it if we don't go after our young people if we don't invest there which i i gotta just commend charlie kirk and commend the whole organization and we need to help them i sit beside old people in our church and 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 some people say well old people don't want to change I think old people want to see their kids and their grandkids love Jesus. Amen. They want to hold their grandbabies while they worship in their church. They're willing to finance it. They're looking for young people who have a passion to reach their kids. There you go. Right? Yeah. yeah. And their grandkids. And so uh, if you are one of those pastors, you're just kind of on the sideline. Hey, you, you are not alone. There's, 
there are 7,000 that have not filed need to bail. And, and if you if you need help, rob at godspeak.com. Yeah. I'll, I'll help you in any way I can. Yeah. You it's, guys called. I came out. That's Indianapolis. Right. It's yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you in, left in the winter. You left. You were in. Actually, you went from Southern California to Florida to Indianapolis in the winter. Just so, uh, so how do, you, how do you, get, you pack for a trip like that, <laughs> Rob? I want to tell you. My yeah. wife said this, and she wanted me to tell you just how much she fell in love with you. Just, just sitting down, and, and not because of your good looks. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I have a total but face it, yeah. for radio. <laughs> but she, she said all, all, all I could tell is that man's totally genuine, mm. and. I felt and, the same way about you and, guys. And your wor- the word of God spills out of you. And what a, what a joy it is. I, I love that. I love to be around people. I'm like, man, there's a, there's a brother in Christ, yeah, man. Absolutely. Oh, well, okay. I'm rubber. Your glue bounces off me, sticks to you. <laughs> I look at you guys, and the word of God richly dwells in you. You don't find that often. I mean, Nathan, I'm listening to you just exposit scripture just off the top of your head. I'm blown away by you guys. You've been a worship leader. Usually worship leaders are very shallow when it comes to scripture. <laughs> no, Lift that's up true. a shout of praise. Hey, no, <laughs> that's true. But that's but true. That, that man's yeah. deep. Oh, and, 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 and that was the thing that two years ago impressed me about Micah was when we sat down, I got up and I thought, man, this guy could have come out of my mother's womb. Like he 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 loves God's word and Amen. knew God's word. Yeah, I, I you know if you're a worship leader out there, hey, you know what you should do? Read the Bible. <laughs> Your job <laughs> is to read the Bible. Amen. And lead the people so that they know why they sing the songs they do. Connect the scriptures yeah. to the song, and they'll sing the song with a totally different passion and heart. Yeah. And the presence of God will come. You want to know what's wrong with your worship leading? It's not your ability with technology. You need to know the word. Yeah. It, we have a biblical Ill- illiteracy problem in America, That's right. and in the church, in the church, it's. Uh, I've been very disappointed. I think when I when I when I go around to churches, I think there's probably about a fifth or sixth grade, if we're lucky level of literacy when it comes to biblical knowledge in the church. And that's that's why we're so scared. That's why the church is buckled under pressure because they just don't know truth. And 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 to kind of put a bow on this, I, I if you're a pastor listening, arise mighty warrior. I mean, that's what Judges Amen. 6, that's exactly what the angel of the Lord told Gideon. Gideon was hiding from the Midianites. He was, he was literally fearing, ever, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't even hardly harvest their fields because they, the Midianites wouldn't even let them have the tools to do it. And then the angel of the Lord says, arise, mighty warrior. And and Gideon has to be looking around like, I think you got the wrong like shed. I'm, the guy next door is who you're looking for. And and the Lord calls out of him something that Gideon himself didn't even see. And I think the pastors in America, you feel it. I know you do. If you're connected to the Holy Spirit, you feel it. And the Lord is calling that out of you. He's saying, arise, mighty warrior. And you're saying, but God, I don't have an army. But God, I, I don't I don't have what it takes. But God, I have a stuttering problem. But God, I, I can't, it's not me. Send Aaron. Yeah. And and God is saying, No, you're it. And That's I'm going right. I'm gonna call that out of you. So arise, mighty warriors. Pastors, Christians, arise, mighty warriors. And you you say, Well, there's not enough of us. Go go back to where Jonathan and his armor bearer, you know. Defeat the the Philistine few, garrison. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The Lord will save us. Who knows whether the Lord will save us by many or by few? Yeah, right. The 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 Lord loves to to, loves to strike that's down right. the numbers. <laughs> he takes all those those tens of thousands that Gideon had yeah. and strikes them down because there's too many of you. I don't. The, here's the thing about God. God wants all the credit. Amen. He, and he will he will he will what? grow the group down in order to 
to work out a victory that only he can get the glory. December 1776, Thomas Paine said, Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. And I feel like that's God's heart right there. He's like, you know what? It's going to be hard, but it is going to be a glorious triumph, and I, your God, will get the will get the credit and the glory for it. Yeah. yeah. One man it. and God constitutes a majority. That's right. right. Can I close by invoking my godfather? Absolutely. My godfather uh, was a patriarch because my mother had died of lung cancer, and my dad was in a home with Alzheimer's. And I'm named after my godfather. His name is Rear Admiral Robert Broussard Early. And uh, in 2014, he was 99 years young. Uh, he was the highest-ranking survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Mm. He was a lieutenant on the USS Cassin on December 7, 1941. And he was bigger than life, and at 99, he was still driving. Not well, but he was driving. <laughs> He'd do 100 sit-ups a day in increments because uh, he said movement was life. Wow. And I was running for the state assembly, and the Republican Party had carpet-bombed me. And it, this is a primary. And I'd been a Republican longer than I'd been a Christian, and my own party's attacking me. And uh, I, I'm really discouraged. And... And they've attacked the school and the church. My car's been keyed. I'd had window broken, you know, death threats, everything. So I, I want to get away because I'm out of money. And I don't want to go out to my mailbox and see another hit piece. So I drive to the town I was born in, Coronado, California, to go visit the patriarch. Because I'm going to miss his 100th birthday. I get into his house. and He's lived in the same house for 50 years. And he's commanding. And he looks at me with this booming voice. He says, how's it going? And I said, Uncle Bob, uh, I feel like I've led these folks on a rosy road to nowhere. California's going to hell in a handbag. I'm getting carpet bombed by my own party. And I'm lamenting and going through the list of all my lamentations. And I never heard him angry in 50 years that I'd known him. He puts his hand up and it's shaking with age. And he looks at me and he says, stop it. I mean, it was he, he paralyzed me. Nothing like being spanked by a 99-year-old man. <laughs> And he says, Rob, you don't know tough. I was 16 years old in the Great Depression. We didn't know where our next meal was going to come from. And had it not been an appointment to the Naval Academy, I would have never received a college degree. And you being a history major don't realize this, but we had the 17th largest military on the face of the earth because we were in isolationist mode. And on that day, December 7th, they sank half the Pacific fleet and my ship. And the harbor was on fire, and I pulled my shipmates out of the water dead. We put out the fire. We took on a two-fronted war the next day against two fascist nations. We brought them both to their knees. We lifted that same fleet from the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, refitted it, and floated it into Tokyo Harbor for the surrender of the Japanese. We weren't occupiers. We were liberators. We left constitutional republics in both nations, asked for enough ground to bury our dead, and we came home. When we came home, we started the greatest industrial revolution in my lifetime. Now quit your whining and go finish what you started. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's oh, a great word. And that's a good one. Like the, he channeled John Wayne right there. Oh, my that goodness. Was, absolutely. Well, Pilgrim. When, when, <laughs> when men were men, right? So that's, I love it. Well, thank you for listening. And and we hope you were blessed by uh, Pastor Rob and by Connor. And and again, if you want to uh, check out Turning Point Faith, go to turningpointfaith.org, right? Isn't that, isn't that the website? TPFaith.com. Oh, TPUSA.com. No, slash, right. slash faith. <laughs> right. TPUSA.com. 
Say someone someone say it again. Right. TPUSA.com slash faith. Ah, okay. Connor, you've been super quiet. <laughs> yeah. And and uh I I I know that sometimes we could talk over. He's each in a other. room with three pastors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Connor, what is it that our our listeners really need to to hear about how to really get on board? Here's what I will say. Um and you were talking about the why. Um and as it pertains to Turning Point USA in particular, um, when you hear Turning Point or you hear Charlie Kirk, you immediately think colleges, college campuses. Um, I think there's an important distinction to make about this particular time um, in history, and that's that um, we're fighting a continual war on our college campuses. Um, but in the last well, two years in particular with COVID, but um, over the last half decade or so is that, and this ties into the why, is it's not it's not us. It's not uh, the world that, that we live in that we're fighting to change. Um, it's our children. You know, it's, it's primary and secondary school. Um, there's a whole generation of kids that, you know, their outlook and their mindset is changed because of masks or COVID regulations or whatever. But, you know, on top of that, I don't know, are you on Twitter? By chance, do you follow libs of TikTok? No, or have you heard of that? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, and Mock, Mock and Rob always pull that one up. So that's a great page. Yeah. But you have these teachers that you know they come out and they say, "Oh, you know, I teach my kids about being non-binary or um, why communism is better." Yeah, than but, oh, the constitutional a lit- republic. A yeah. litany of things, and um, at Turning Point Faith, that's one of our big, you know, year-round pushes is school choice. You know, focusing on education and. Um, you know, you look at, in Virginia in particular, with their gubernatorial election, one of the big um, issues around that was what happened in Fairfax County. Yeah. Uh, and so, f- for us as people of faith and as activists, as grassroots activists, the focus is, you know, on our children. You know, Pastor Rob talked about Moses sharing that moral decalogue with the children, Um our, our children's morality, our children's view of the world is being shifted in such an evil way right now. Like I was talking about last night, we're past policy, we're past legislation. This is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. Amen. Um, you know, again, John Adams said our constitution was written only for a moral and religious people. Um, and it's not the GOP that's going to win this war. It's not Donald Trump that's going to win this war, um, this cultural war. It's the church. It's Amen. the congregations. Um, it's pastors like yourselves um, with the support of, of people like us that are, are going to overcome this evil and, and win this war. So um, that's what I would say to people is, you know, it's about our kids. It's about, you know, how are we going to shift their mindset so that when they get to a position that we're in, they have an America to preserve themselves because um, it's eroding every day. Uh, and, and it's not just in the schools. I mean, it's in the churches. You know, Pastor Rob was talking about BLM. Every week I get to sit down and I have the pleasure of, you know, meeting with pastors and um, priests and faith leaders. And it blows my mind when I walk up to a church and there's a pride flag or a Black Lives Matter. And it's, you know, this, I just say to myself, this isn't biblical. Um, you know, I had a Methodist pastor one time I was sitting with and we were talking about uh, marriage and life and the issue of abortion and um he looks at myself and um my boss at the time and he goes well i don't think it's my place to tell people what decisions they should make on those issues (laughs) 
You want good news? You don't have to. Tell them to tell about God. I wonder, right. wonder if yeah. they would have right. said that about slavery. Yeah. Not the Methodists. They would. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Honestly, they would have just sat by, idly by and sang louder. So, but but we're at a point where you know, for many people, we can't even count on our, our faith leaders anymore. You know, our churches have just become so weak on a lot of these issues. Um, and I think that's what excites me the most about Turning Point Faith in particular is um, just giving everyday people, just people of, of the congregations an opportunity to get together and um, to stand up, not just for our country, but for our children in particular. So yeah. Very exciting one, one, one last One last thought that it was mentioned kind of briefly here, but, but blasphemy has a definition. It's those who call good evil and evil good. Mm. That's the definition of blasphemy. Mm. We have blasphemy being preached from the pulpits in the United States. Yep. We have blasphemy that's happening in the schools, and we have blasphemy happening in the in the public square. Yeah, we talked about difference between morality. How did you say it? Character and uh, character, yeah. right? Yeah. We we have to choose to teach the people not what's not not what is uh, uh, going to be popular. But what is truth? And and I want to encourage you, let's get as pastors, if you're out there, get back to the scriptures. Let the Bible set the diet. Go back to expository preaching. Good word. So that our children may know. Amen. You have to start with their parents, but you gotta get their parents going, this is not good and my kids are at stake. And you must teach them young. God calls them young so your kids can handle a lot more than you think they can teach them the word of god amen amen it's a good word bro yep. well thanks for listening uh it's been a great episode again we've had pastor rob mccoy from thousand oaks church in california and a part of uh god help, speak or, church. Or, come on man <laughs> god speak church thousand oaks god speak church in california hey there. uh yeah and then we connor royce from turning point uh faith and so it's just cool to see what god's doing across this nation so uh get online check them out thanks for listening but uh it's good to have nathan back i mean we are i'm excited nathan so like thanks for being here again finally so hey, not being I, on vacation I, why would i miss it because you're I, always on vacation hey you know i have a very good reason all for right going and this has been jesus rest. sex and politics you need I'm, to read the bible i'm micah it does talk about sabbath <laughs> and, that's and i'm nathan. nathan and we talk about all the things culture doesn't want to talk about that will scare you we'll catch you next time take care bye-bye everybody